Blog Talk Radio. Uh, help desk. So I basically take 
service calls and provide uh, user support to field technicians and really started moving into uh, software development. And uh, early in my career, Lotus Script, VB, uh, programming in C, and uh, different things like that. And then I guess around the, the 90s when project management uh, started to become more of a profession, you know, with the rise of the Project Management Institute and uh, certifications, really started to look closely at uh, formalizing uh, my role more into, because I was doing some project management. I think a lot of folks, you know, even before PMI was around, certainly were doing project management. But I, I really did make a push to go into that uh, area of my career uh, in the mid-'90s, late-'90s into program and portfolio management, uh, and then really use that as a, as a springboard into other areas as well, like business analysis. Um, I've been fortunate enough to have an opportunity to build uh, a PMO, uh, a business analysis center of excellence at Quintiles, and uh, most recently leading the organization and process optimization group, or OPO, which is uh, where I am today. Awesome, awesome. And, you know, the the one thing that I key off of, because we do, a lot of people listen to our show, they're, they're young people that are in college just starting out their career, but it's even interesting that you started out at a health desk and you worked your way up um, and taking advantage of different trends and, and opportunities. And we often meet young people who just want to start at the top. They they, they envy the position that you're in today, but everybody has to start somewhere. And uh, sometimes it's, it's from humble beginnings. And we often talk and encourage them to look at help desk roles and to, to navigate their way through the organization. Um, so, so So thank you for that. So would you talk to maybe from your perspective throughout your career and navigation, you know, your your strategy or your approach or even times when you had to take risk and maybe some that paid off or lessons learned in negotiating to get to the next position in your career? Sure. Sure. I think, you know, if I had to describe it in a word in terms of, you know, what I would use to, to – to navigate, you know, through the years, it's it's being able to adapt. It's being adaptable. Um, I, I think many of us we set career goals and we put uh, our goals in place, and then really the plans to support those goals. And if you think through it, you you know, I think if you work at it hard enough, you can think this is where I want to go. This is what I'm going to do. But sometimes, as I've certainly learned in my career, things you, you're almost uh, Put out there in terms of uh, the way the organization evolves, you don't have control. So even the best laid plans sometimes don't come to fruition. And really, you've got to be able to adapt and, and do a couple of things. I think one is uh, look at opportunity. Uh, a lot of times, I think early in my career, when things didn't go exactly as planned, when I didn't either get that promotion or I didn't get that job, and I felt I was the you know best person for that job. Uh, you know, it was difficult to accept sometimes, but I think what I would do is, is try to understand, okay, why didn't that happen or what could I do, what's within my control uh, to really set myself up for that next time. Um, so I've really, I think, learned to be able to, you know, I've, I've used the planning aspects uh, when it came to career development for me, but I've also been able to really look around and, and navigate and see where are the opportunities. And another key point, I think, is, Willing, being willing to take uh, some risk. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is really being able to come outside of your comfort zone. Um, I remember a couple of years back, Jacqueline, um, back around 2009, I, I had an opportunity. I had been leading the uh, project management uh, office or our PMO, and I was given an opportunity to uh, lead the business analysis group. And it was a bit of a rebuild at the time. There was some uh, changes in leadership, and uh, I looked at it. At first, I thought, wow, this seems to be a lateral, uh, you know, uh, opportunity, but I had expected to really just want to go up to the next level. But I think sometimes, as I learned there, it's, it's really good advice to move over and take that lateral in your career so that you can go over and above. And it's about career progression. So I, I think that's kind of a long way of me saying understand where you are in the organization 
how it's evolving and be able to adapt and, and really take those opportunities when they come. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and Kim, since I, I, I know you and I, I, I've seen you, you know, in the Quintiles environment, you're really good at networking. What's your, your, your philosophy and approach about networking? Because I think that also has paid off in, in a lot of ways. Can you, can you speak to that? Sure, sure. Um, you know, anything you read or hear about with networking, people certainly talk about the importance of it. And, uh, you know, to me it is, it's extremely important. And uh, it's important for a number of reasons. One is I think a lot of people uh, sometimes do a couple things. One is they, they wait until they need something to really start networking. And the time, I've been told many times in my career by people who I, I respect and uh, work with in, in terms of staffing and, and uh, you know, other areas, you know, they say the best time to network is when you are working or when you're going to school or when you're in a position where you're not looking for something. And I think one of your uh, your guests a couple of weeks ago, uh, John Phillips, had mentioned, you know, helping and, and really serving others. So networking is not just about, hey, what jobs does this organization have? I think it's getting involved, uh, it's volunteering, it's speaking with folks, and giving. And, and I can tell you that, you know, for me personally, I've got a, I do have a very strong network, and certainly in the Raleigh-Durham area. Um, but I think people know me and have a reputation for, you know, being able to help people connect. Um, it, it really makes me feel good when I get people coming to me looking for uh, an introduction or an opportunity and to see it actually pay off down the road. And it may not always be that first time. Um, and you've got to, in my mind, you've got to keep a number of uh, irons in the fire. It's not just one group or, you know, maybe one set of uh, individuals. It's being able to go out to different uh, organizations or group meetings, just meeting people, um, courtesy interviews as well. I'm going to be uh, speaking with someone this week who's new to the area. Uh, they happen to know someone that I'm connected with at uh, Railing, which is a local company here in, in the Triangle, and taking a half an hour, 45 minutes to sit down, have coffee, connect with that person, um, and, and I feel confident, hey, I'm going to be able to open some doors for them in terms of getting information so that they can make some uh, informed decisions about where they want to go, and uh, that really does come back to you. So staying plugged in, I think working with others and helping when you can, um, it only comes back and serves you well, uh, you know, if there's a time that you need it as well. That's absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, and, and like you said, I have seen you, uh, again, um, and a lot of people in the organization obviously look up to you because I, I know a lot of people come to you for mentoring, for coaching. Um, so, you know, your reputation precedes you, and, and, and people do seek you out for that. Let's talk about as a mentor and a coach, sometimes, you know, you probably are dealing with people who are really struggling. And in some cases, as a mentor or coach, sometimes you have to find yourself steering people in a different direction. They may think they want to go down one career path, and, and, and sometimes as a, a mentor and coach, what, what are some of the things that you have to do and, and say, what are the, the areas that you find people struggle with when you're mentoring and coaching? I think, as I kind of alluded to a little bit earlier, it's, it's being able to come outside of their comfort zone. Um, and, again, I use myself as, the, as an example uh, you know, I was being mentored, you know, back several years ago, and I was told, hey, this is a good opportunity to move into business analysis. And I had seen myself for years as a, a project manager, as a program manager, and I, I really, I, I don't want to say I had blinders on because I was having the conversations and I was talking with, uh, you know, with other people about different groups and, and doing different things, but I really didn't see myself you know, as a leading a business analysis center of excellence. But, you know, I had to come outside of my comfort zone. And I think that's something where I talk to people today. Um, when I mentor people or, or, or coach them, I look for folks who are really engaged and invested in their careers. Because I do, I, I have had, Jacqueline, 
you know, a number of people come to me over the years, and, and it's like I said, it's gratifying to help folks. But one of the keys, I think, to uh, helping people is, is really getting the point across that they need to really give thought to their goals. What do they want? What's the outcome that they're looking for? Because as a mentor or a coach, you've got to, I think, tailor you know, your message and how you work with that person uh, based off of what their uh, aspirations, what their goals are. And I think in terms of success, I've had the most success uh, coaching folks who are, are very engaged and have given it thought. Um, I, can, I can tell you that sometimes when I talk to people and say, hey, go away and think about, you know, two or three goals. What are you looking for? And they basically give them a little bit of homework to do uh, to really come so that we can build a plan together. And I'll be honest, that probably, you know, I'd say anywhere from 10, 20, maybe 25% of folks go away and don't really, I would say they don't have to follow through sometimes or they see it as, you know, maybe the coach is just supposed to make an introduction for me, where as I see it more of a process and it's, it's both a, a mentor and a mentee putting in that effort, having those conversations, but doing that homework as well because I don't think either – uh, one person or the other has, has all the answers or just, you know, this is what we should do. It's, it's working together. And uh, I guess my advice to someone who's looking for uh, that sponsorship, uh, that mentor, is to, to be engaged and to demonstrate that, hey, I'm invested in myself and you should take the time out to, uh, to work with me because I'm going to do that myself. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and again, I, I'm, I'm just – Shaking my head to everything you're you're saying because you're reinforcing some things and and um, I hope our listeners are really absorbing this because um, just spot on, um, just really good advice is that that the mentor coaching uh, is a two way relationship and and like you said it's a process so they've got to be willing to invest in themselves you know and not just think that they can just drop their uh, hopes and dreams on one person and quite honestly get the hookup or get that connection um, and get that, that fast track and think that the, it's always the easy road. So uh, I really appreciate that. And, and, you know, like I said, I hope our listeners are really absorbing that. Um, you know, you you touched upon, too, that, as you said, you, you helped create and develop a center of excellence for business analysis. And then also I want to touch about, about your work with the PMO. But I think that with your experience with the VA group, because like you said, that was new territory for you, did you uh, learn some things and, and did your understanding of business analysis evolve uh, with your engagement with business analysis, especially with, you know, such a hardcore pro- project management background? What would you say to other organizations um, who may not be at the level of the maturity that that Quiz House now has grown to, but um, thinking back in the early days, what, what, are you, what message would you say to people about business analysts versus project management? Uh, to me, you know, they tie very closely. You know, the planning and the analysis, I mean, that traditionally in, in IT projects has always been up front. And even today in, in, you know, the current environment where more people are going towards uh, iterative development, agile development, you still have those ties, that, that project management and business analysis. So I, I, I see the two as really complementing one another. And I know in the past, and I've read many articles and I've heard speakers talk about, you know, the role of the PM versus the role of the VA. Uh, you know, from what I can see in discussions I have with people in the industry, uh, from what I read, you know, we're seeing some of these roles uh, really blend and, and become hybrids, if you will. Um, I wrote a good uh, blog posting by uh, Coop Smith out of Atlanta uh, a couple of months back, and it was about the role of the business analyst. And I thought it was really, uh, it was really enlightening because I had heard some of the things that were in there. But one, one point I want to mention is I, I think people sometimes look at themselves and say, okay, I'm a business analyst, and I'm going to be the business analyst capturing requirements and doing that business analysis work. But I think what Coop was saying in his, uh, in his blog was you're, you're not just the business analyst, but people are looking for problem solvers. And in fact, one person you mentioned there is saying, I'm not just hiring business analysts anymore. 
So it's being able to do that analysis piece of work, but really what I've heard terms like solution engineer, solution analyst, it's being able to take some of those aspects of analysis, of planning, even testing of other roles as well, and really pulling those together so that you're not just in one box as this is, this is who I am, I'm a PM or I'm an analyst. I think the best advice I could give someone who's looking at a career uh, in, in IT and certainly software development and delivery is be a problem solver because that's really what every one of us uh, is, is doing when we come to work each day. We're really solving problems no matter what field we're in or what job role, uh, you know, job title we have. Be a problem solver and really build those maturities, build those capabilities, um, and, and I think it become more valuable to the organization by doing just that. Absolutely, absolutely. Great point. Uh, and, and now I, I kind of want to ask a question similar about your, your thoughts around project management because we, you've seen, uh, you know, you've been in the field for a while. As you said, at Quintiles created a, a PMO. What are your thoughts as far as maybe even some of the trends you're seeing around project management right now um, and even maybe some of your, your concerns? Where do you think um, project management is going as well as, Maybe even talk about your experience about building the challenges of creating a PMO, because I know a lot of organizations struggle with getting and launching those. Um, so what are your thoughts? Yeah, in terms of a PMO, again, you know, there's a lot out there. I guess, you know, I'll speak very much from uh, my experience and, and what, I've, you know, what I've learned. Um, I, I think a couple of things. When you're building a PMO or, or any, leading any center of excellence for that, uh, matter. It, it's about what value that's going to bring. I mean, there are many books, there's many white papers, publications. Very easy to go out and Google, you know, build a PMO, right, and get some of those tools, some of those ideas that other organizations have used to build successful PMOs within their uh, organizations. But, you know, for me, it was about what's the outcome and, you know, and in this case at Quintiles, you know, we were looking at, uh, you know, when we first started looking at the PMO, we had uh, IT groups throughout the, uh, really throughout the globe, who reported up into, you know, country or regional heads. And we started to pull together and say, okay, what are some of the things we want to do consistently across? What are some of those uh, areas that we want to measure? And, and, again, you know, we didn't start uh, – from pure scratch. We did our research and looked at some of the metrics, you know, uh, that we wanted to track. We wanted to keep it simple. I think one of the pitfalls you can get uh, caught up in or, or get trapped in when you're building a PMO is you really you want to do a lot of good things and, and track a lot of things and show that value. And what happens is you start to take on too much. And I think you can almost collapse under your own weight. I think for a PMO, again, from my experience in being successful, it's, it's proving it out and it's moving the bar. So while I was certainly uh, ambitious and wanted to, to do all these great things and have application uh, or project portfolio management and be able to provide these reports to senior management, I really did, I think, early on take on a little bit too much where, you know, we weren't showing the value. And then when I pulled back and I, I got the feedback, you know, from my key stakeholders, I was able to make some adjustments. And I think that's what helped not just myself, but really the entire PMO uh, become a success, uh, you know, there. what It was where's the value. If people uh, will engage with the PMO. When you're showing value and what's in it to the organization, I think you're going to have uh, more people, more buy-in. It's when a PMO is seen as that, ivory tower or just a, you know, report generator where it's really not a lot of value add or, or you know, what are you doing for me? I think that's where you tend to, to lose uh, certain groups. So, you know, in terms of the PMO, again, that's from my experience. I think project management, I know there's, there's, a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of developments around and discussions around project managers in the traditional sense of managing IT projects in a waterfall structure versus Agile uh, Scrum Masters and self-directed work teams. Um, you know, I fall into the category of I'm not a, 
a pure, hey, Agile's the way to go, a pure, you know, PMI, uh, Timbox, you've got to do it this way. I look at it as, you know, what makes sense, you know, in my organization with the team I have, and, and what do we want to do? What can I use, really, in terms of my, my toolbox from the Agile uh, tools and methods we use from the, the uh, Project Management Institute and other sources uh, for project management? What makes sense, and then try to apply those uh, in the organization. So, so that's that's kind of my thoughts on you know PMOs and and how you what are some of the things you should be really thinking about as you uh, as you look to either develop a PMO or really just want to uh, you know embark on some project management best practices. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Again, more good stuff, um, and, and so I, I'm just going to keep coming with the questions because, I mean, sure. after you speak, there's really nothing else I can say. <laughs> um, <laughs> but let's let's talk about the the current group that that you're over, the OPO, because a lot of people may not have heard of that or have the equivalent in their organization. But can you talk about uh, why an organization like Quintile has an OPO group? What you what you do? What we bring to the the table? And uh, what's the, the thought process around it? Sure, sure. So as I mentioned earlier, we, uh, you know, years back we, we started building these centers of excellence, and not just project management and business analysis, but we had uh, architecture, we had development, we had the uh, validation and testing center of excellence. We're very much a large functional matrix organization where we, we had these groups of uh, people in a center of excellence. And the nice thing about that was you had, you know, people could share their, their experience, you know, with other developers, with other testers or other uh, BAs for that matter. Um, and, the, and the career path is really, uh, really solid. It was, you could see, you know, where, uh, you know, how you can navigate in terms of you know, either up the job ladder or maybe take moving from a support role into business analysis. But what happened was uh, a couple of years ago, uh, a decision was taken as, as, again, our industry is very much, it's very dynamic and it's, it's constantly uh, changing, and that's the uh, CRO uh, foreign space. And we wanted to really take the organization and, and, and say, let's look at having product teams as opposed to a large center of excellence. We're going to take these analysts, we're going to take these project managers, these developers, and we're going to ring fence them on product teams, and it was for a number of reasons, but things, uh, things like, hey, the continuity of having that team in place, being uh, more cohesive, able to move more quickly. So we went into these product teams, but we also went in knowing, with, you know, eyes wide open that this is, there's some risk to this, right, because as I mentioned, in the center of excellence, you, you've got those project managers or those analysts sharing those experiences with each other, and if you move people into product teams, uh, people start to wonder, okay, where is that sense of community? You know, who do I go to? If we're all in these siloed product teams, where can I go for some of that, uh, you know, some of those things like growth and development, career progression, um, and even tools for that matter. So we, we uh, organized uh, the organization and process optimization group, and we basically said we're going to look at three things. We're going to, if you look at the product teams as verticals, the OPO group was the horizontal going across, and it was looking at three main areas. One was the people side of it, so we didn't want to lose that uh, momentum that we had in the centers of excellence around career progression, growth and development, so we wanted to establish some uh, communities of practice and do things where we could get folks still uh, seeing the benefits of, of having that community, but even though it's in a different organization. From a process standpoint, we didn't want 10 or 15 product teams going out and developing processes that were so, so far and different from each other. In other words, each product team should have the benefit of being able to work as they see a self-directed work team. But we wanted to have some consistency and ensure that if we move folks from product team to product team, that the processes or at least, you know, how we capture requirements in this particular requirements management tool, that people could make that transition and we wouldn't be on these wildly different paths uh, with many different processes that really never 
uh, related. So that's the people and process uh, piece of it. And then from a tools perspective, again, this comes down to consistency and also cost, right? If we've got these, these uh, product teams empowered, uh, they've got tools that we've been using when we have these big centers of excellence. Well, now who owns Quality Center? Who owns our top team analyst uh, requirements management tool? Who owns these, these other project management, these development tools? So we pull those together, and we have a group, and it really – the person leading is doing a great job in consulting with the product teams, saying here's our suite of tools, and being able to help these product teams implement the tools, and I think most importantly is that the groups can work with each other. So we have a portal team that works with uh, an integration team and, and, and the lab team and these other, other product teams where we, we've got the same tools and we've got some of the same methods. So the point is if you look at the OPPO team and what we do, where that horizontal looks at people, process, and tools across a vertical organization. And, again, it's not by any means I, I, I do not want to represent it as a you know, a perfect match, and, and it's the, you know, uh, magic wand that's, that's taking care of all the problems. We still have to strike that fine balance, you know, between an empowered product team, you know, versus one that's looking too far, you know, within their own group, not seeing the bigger picture. So I think we, we tend to try to bridge those gaps across the teams and really help them, uh, you know, deliver using some common best practices, uh, tools, et cetera. Absolutely, absolutely. And there's some other organizations that I'm sure, based on how they're configured, um, struggle with some of, of those concepts. And, and OPO is kind of a really unique concept in, in that respect that, like you said, is that, that bridge and that people process and tools. So um, listeners, again, as, as they're hearing that, um, just another way of looking things, another way of solving problems, um, depending on how your organization is currently configured. Um, so really, really interesting stuff, and, and I really enjoy being on the, the team very much so and, and work with some great people. Um, so let, let me, let's talk about another aspect, uh, and, and I want to talk about leadership and the, the role of being in a leader, a senior leadership role. Like I said, a lot of people, they, they look and, and that's what their, their goal is as far as their careers, um, and, and here you are, you've attained that level, and just kind of want to get your perspective of what does it take as you move up that career ladder? What are some of the lessons learned maybe that um, you didn't realize until maybe as you got to that level um, that people need to know about what it takes to, to attain that level, to prepare themselves for that, that level? Um, what is it like? <laughs> well, I... Uh... It's, it's certainly interesting and it's, it's challenging. Um, you know, for me personally, I didn't set out to say, hey, I want to become a, you know, a, a, a senior director in IT or early on in my career. I mean, it's one of those things, as I, as I mentioned earlier, I think it's, you know, you look at your career. For me personally, what's worked is I would tend to evaluate my career, and I still do this today, probably eight, every 18 to 24 months. And I really... For me, it's, it's, that's how long it takes me maybe to really become comfortable or even to master a certain job. And I, I really, you know, you don't want to get bored in a job. I mean, I, I certainly have I've seen a lot of challenges, and it's helped me, uh, you know, remain engaged and look for new things. But every 18 to 24 months, I would look at, you know, new challenges, and, and basically in my own organization or, or even outside the organization. And I think what that, that has done is it's helped me, you know, it's kept me honest about managing my career, you know, rather than just passively, you know, going where the organization's going. So very much looking at, okay, where are the opportunities? And once I, I you know, got into a director role, you know, I had to make some adjustments as well. It's not, you don't just become a, a director or a leader in an organization and, you know, expect things to go smoothly. I think for me, you know, maturity and experience has really, um, you know, factored in heavily. Um, I've learned by, by watching others. I've learned by listening. Um, I realize today, even, you know, when I uh, took over the reins of the Business Analysis Center of Excellence, I had people who were 
more of a uh, subject matter expert than me. Um, and even on my team today, you never, you know, you should never look at it where if you're in charge of a group, you can't learn from, from those folks who report to you. And I, I do that every day. You know, I learn from folks on my team. Uh, one of the tools that I've used, and I, I really think this has helped me immensely, and, and initially when it was presented to me, I, I was, I blocked at it a little bit, and I, I thought, no, nah, I don't really think I want this. But years ago, uh, working for my first manager at Quintiles, talked about having a 360 gun. Um, and we had an organization outside of Quintiles that, that really uh, did those for us and, and basically would send out a questionnaire to folks that you identified. And it would talk about, you know, your strengths, um, areas for improvement. And I think a lot of folks initially, when – hear about that, you've never had a 360, you think, oh, boy, I'm going to, you know, here, so here comes some criticism, and, you know, it's, it's, not, it's something that's going to be used against me, but it's one of the tools, I would say, that has helped me grow as a leader uh, almost more than any other, and, and that's because what I, the feedback I got from folks on my 360, and these are people who thought, I, you know, I knew some of the people thought I did a very good job, and some certainly gave me some good constructive feedback. But the point is I looked at that in totality, and I really learned uh, that, you know, people aren't just sitting there looking to criticize you, but to really give you constructive feedback. And I'll give you one example. Um, I, at the time, was having difficulty with a, a very senior person in the organization around project management, where we were going as an organization. And I felt very much in the right about my position because I wanted to support this person um, but it wasn't working out. We had some issues, and it became, for me personally, more of a I have to prove my point. I knew in my heart of hearts and in my mind I was right. But I think sometimes you can lose sight of what's really important. Is it to prove that I'm correct in, in my approach? You know, and, and I, I kind of lost the plot a little bit. And with the 360 that I uh, had at that time, when it came back to me, someone actually said, you know, Ken, you have to have more confidence, you know, in yourself, and, that, and you can't let the noise, as they termed it, you know, define you. You know, you've got to rise above that. And I think that's just one example that I really I took to heart and I try to let other folks know. And if you can get the opportunity to have a 360, because how you're perceived by others in the organization, for me to see it on paper and to really – it really sunk in, because my boss had been coaching me, it's saying, don't worry about that, that's noise, or you shouldn't spend so much time there. But I really, it didn't sink in until I had gone through that. And that's just one example of where you, I think, become more open and you look for that constructive feedback. And it's not, it's not a threat to you. It's something that's going to help you develop and help you grow. And, and that, that's not to say you're always going to agree with it or really, really appreciate it, but I I, I can tell you, for me, it's, it's really worked wonders, and I would encourage folks to, um, if they do have that opportunity, to get a, a 360 to, to do that and to, to build a development plan off of that. Uh, absolutely. And, 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 and I know that, that you've even said to me, because you do have to be aware of perceptions, what people are, are perceiving, what may be the best of intentions. You do have to be uh, aware of perceptions. And, and, and that kind of leads me to a, another question. Because as you move up the corporate ladder, you know, there, there's the, the perception that there's a lot of politics involved. You're dealing with a lot of different personalities. And so uh, sometimes it feels like it's, it's a, a tightrope that you have to walk. And some people just um, have, have failed and, or either haven't been uh, able to, to master that as far as the, the politics, the personalities, and even, even the, some of the noise. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, from your experience, office politics and at, at the at the senior level, and and how do you deal with that and, and manage that? How does someone, again, like I said, even prepare themselves if that's something that they want to aspire to do? Yeah, I mean, you said it, Jacqueline. There's there's you know there's politics and there's there's these types of dynamics at, at really any level, but I, I think the one thing you know, as I, as I try to look at it and see, you know, what can I share with folks in, in how I navigate that? You know, you have to have, I, I think, thick skin when you're, you're leading a group and you, you're kind of out there and, and you're either blazing 
new trail or you're trying to do something or delivering on a, at a very complex project, you know, there's going to be people, and sometimes, you know, again, from my experience, I think early in my career, I would look at some of the criticism or some of the feedback as, wow, this person is uh, taking a shot at me or this, you know, these people are trying to, you know, maybe undermine me. I think I've become, again, maturity, you know, and experience has helped me. I really do try to quantify feedback and build good relationships. So for me, there's a couple of things. It's build good relationships, even with people who are not like you or maybe have different goals or don't think the same way, but you've really got to be able to influence and engage people that, you know, may or may not share your vision. So I don't look to operate only around people who see things the way I see it. Um, I try to really, you know, work with, you know, folks across the organization. And, again, you don't always agree, but you certainly respect, um, you know, other people's opinions. And, you know, you factor them in. I may or may not agree with it or may not, you know, say, hey, that's the way I want to go. But I think I'm much more open-minded now, and I don't, I don't necessarily question the motives as much as, as earlier in my career, um, but again, that's just my, you know, my take on it. Um, I think in terms of, you know, advice, as I said, having thick skin and not letting, you know, the little things or not getting caught up in, in gossip and in, you know, just I, I would say the day-to-day battles. You know, there's always going to be if you're in the IT industry, there's going to be technology battles. There's going to be battles around which product is better. Um, you know, and, and now we've got these products in this, uh, what I call healthy competition, but then there's, you know, you can get caught up in it and it becomes too, you know, consuming and you, sit, you let it take you off your goal. Um, pick your battles wisely. Um, I always look to, let's try to figure out if, if I'm having a difference of opinion with another group, another person uh, in the organization, I try to look at what is really driving that. You know, and, and a lot of the time, not always, but a lot of the time, it's, you know, someone is perceiving, you know, what, what I'm doing or what my team is doing it's a, as a threat or something that's not in line with their objectives. And I think more often than not, you can resolve a lot of those differences by talking. It's not easy. I mean, again, it's something I've had to get better at over the years, going out, extending the hand, um, and having those conversations. You know, it may not always you know, result in what you are trying to get to the first time or even the second or third time, but continually looking to to build relationships to keep the lines of communication open. And I think that's what I try to establish, you know, as far as my uh, reputation, you know, within the organization I'm in now. It's it's something that, hey, we we can talk with Ken, we can sit down and have those discussions, and I'm not going to walk into something necessarily with preconceived notions to try to keep that open mind and, uh, again, pick my battles wisely, not let the noise, uh, you know, dictate, you know, every decision I'm taking and, and really stay focused on the outcome. Absolutely, absolutely. And like I said, I've seen you in action, so I, I know that, it, you know, you, you do it very well, very successfully, um, and, you know, you have your convictions, and when when it's appropriate, like you said, you you stick to what you believe in, and and like you said, there's sometimes that you have to pick your battles, and some are worth letting the you know the letting letting go, just letting go. I'm not going to say that the other person wins or loses. It doesn't matter. Just let it go, um, and and then you know prioritize the ones that you want to really stick to. So, um, and and that's why I enjoy so much working side by side with you. And it, we really, I think we really have um, accomplished a lot, and um, so. I, I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, I, I wanted to, another question I had was for, you probably interviewed a lot of people <laughs> over the years, mm-hmm. various levels, various positions. You've probably seen some people that really stuck out for you and, and, and maybe you could share what it was about them that, that they, they really did to, to nail it down, to really nail that interview with you. And then others that maybe, you know, what would you say to some people that maybe came to that interview and you, you wish you could have given them direct feedback, but uh, just maybe really uh, blew up interview? I mean, give us some uh, examples. Sure, sure. Uh, 
sure. So, I, you know, absolutely. I have uh, I have done my share of interviews, you know, over the years, and, and my share of hiring as well. Um, you know, I, I think the the things that you, you typically you know learn about in school, you read about when you you know you're a job seeker or you're first coming out looking for a position. You know, it's it's the appearance, it's being able to clearly communicate all of those things that have you know to me been out there for years and years. You know, it's the eye contact, it's it's you know it's being enthusiastic uh, in an interview. You know, and, and I, I don't mean that. You know, being someone you're not. I mean, a couple of, I guess some advice in terms of, you know, what works for me when I'm interviewing people is I like people who know the organization. You know, one of the questions I always ask people who are interviewing, you know, at Quintiles is what do you know about the organization? Because right there, that's going to tell me if they have taken that, even if it's 10 minutes, to look at the website, understand what products, what services, what industry uh, we're in, what do we offer. Um, and, and, you know, you, you would really be surprised at how many people have said to me, and I'm talking about very smart people, very experienced people who have been around. This is, you know, these are not like, you know, young students. These are experienced people who have said to me, well, not much, not really beyond the job description. And, and what that tells me is that they're looking for a job. And, and, you know, you might say, well, that's what they're doing. I'm looking for people who want to be part of something that I consider to be very special. You know, very, we're in an industry that's, that's changing so quickly, uh, so, you know, across so many fronts. And I really look at that change as an opportunity. And, and I, I look for people when we, you know, when I'm building a team or I'm bringing someone else into the organization I'm looking for someone that's going to see that as, a, as, as, as I see it, a real opportunity, not just a job, not just a job as a, you know, an analyst or developer or a tester or whatever the, the job role may be, but someone who's going to be part of that, hey, I want to be a part of this, something special. And, you know, a couple of things. It's, I, I expect people to know their resume. I have a career that spans 25-plus years now. And the one thing I make sure that, that I know, you know, is right now is my resume. I don't need to look at it. So when I start talking to people about something they did six, seven years ago maybe, if they have to go back and they're not really well-versed with their resume, it tells me, hey, that they have you know, either a lack of preparation or they're just not sure what they've done in the past. Um, so the record of achievement, too, is, is a big, big piece. And I would encourage anybody that's, going out, interviewing or researching an organization and wants to, to become hired on, be able to tell, you know, your story in terms of what you bring to the table. And, you know, I, I read a lot of resumes that have job descriptions there. It's basically a, either a copy-paste or a little bit, you know, of massaging the, the, the job description after that. But I look for what were your responsibilities and what were your accomplishments you know, again, the key thing is you, you know, what was your role in that success? When I, when I interview people, we tend to use we a lot. We did this and we did that, and it's fine. Hey, you're part of a team, and, and that's that you're sharing that experience. But I think you've really got to, when you're going into an organization, you're looking for that opportunity, you need to talk about, here's what I bring. I am a problem solver. Going back to what we talked about a little bit earlier, I'm here to solve problems. I'm not just a strong project manager. If you need help, whether it's requirements or testing or, or, you know, any type of support, I'm willing to roll my sleeves up. So I'm looking for people who are problem solvers, who clearly know their experience. They can come in. They can articulate that. They're engaged, good eye contact. And, you know, again, going back to the – you can read this in many, many different boards and, and white papers – should you ask questions? It's the type of question I get, too. Um, I don't need a, a lot of questions at the end of an interview to tell me that someone's engaged, but the thought that goes into that, uh, you know, that's going to tell me have they really prepared for this uh, interview. So I, I think, I hope that gives you some of the, uh, some insight into some of the, the qualities I'm looking for uh, in a person and what they can bring to the table, uh, you know, when I interview people. 
No, absolutely, absolutely. Great answer. Really appreciate that as well. Um, and, and I want to talk about, we just recently uh, have worked with the uh, a new generation of the interns that, that we worked with over the summer, and I thought it was a, a great experience. Um, and there's a lot of chatter, I guess, in the uh, Internet universe about the next generation, and, and there's a lot of trends saying that they're shying away from um, roles in IT and the, the STEM profession, um, especially young women. Um, and so I wanted to ask you, from your experience, and, and I know that you you also have children as well, do you think the – what would you say to young people about uh, careers in IT, uh, maybe that they don't know or maybe that might in, encourage them or give them some insight? Um, and and then, then also your thoughts as far as the trend with women in IT and, and your experience. Sure. So that's a, that's an interesting one, Jacqueline. We had a, uh, a discussion uh, just probably about two or three months ago. I was uh, speaking with some uh, folks, you know, in the office, and, and one of the things that came up, and just a, just an open discussion, is would you encourage your children, you know, to go into IT, uh, you know, or to, to go for an IT career? And it was really interesting because the way I would have answered that, you know, ten or even five years ago. I think it's, it's much different than what I'd, how I'd answer it today. And uh, so a couple of things. I do think certainly, you know, uh, from an information technology standpoint, I would certainly encourage, uh, you know, people to, to, to look at those careers, but look at it a little bit differently. When I was coming out of college and, and for years, you know, after that, you know, it was one of these things where you went for a computer science degree and you became a programmer. You know, you went for this engineering degree, you know, you became a developer. I, I think today the advice I would give to people who are really considering, you know, an, a, a career in information technology is, you know, don't, don't put yourself in a box and say, I just want to do development. It, it really comes down to, I, I think, and it's going to, as, as we see information technology careers evolve, it's going to be what value people bring to the organization. And when I say value, it's, it's one thing to say, hey, I'm a really, you know, really good project manager. I'm a really good analyst. But what we're talking about now, what I hear at conferences, are people who can uh, bring different aspects. So someone who can go in and manage a program, but also chip in and help do the analysis. You know, and I'm not saying that someone should be, you should be able to be a, a programmer and, you know, all things to all people. That's, that's really not the point, but it's being able to solve problems. And I think one of the best ways I can maybe be specific is learn, learn business skills as well. If you come in, you can be the best developer, you know, the best, you know, technical mind there is. But if you can't communicate, if you can't take the technology that you are, you know, uh, you know, an expert in or very experienced in and, and take that technology experience, you can't translate that to solving business problems, I think you're going to limit yourself. And, and I think it, it puts you at a disadvantage. It's the people, I think, that are going to be able to take technology and apply that to business problems. So really understanding, you know, what do we do as an organization? I'm going to, you know, when I'm interviewing someone, uh, especially when they're technical, if they're coming into the organization, I'm going to ask them, how would you apply it? I'm not going to ask someone about objects that they use in object-oriented programming or methods or services. I'm going to ask them about what business problems did you solve. So really having that, those soft, those uh, interpersonal skills to, to complement the technical skills. Um, in, in terms of, uh, you know, young people, women, I mean, look, I, I will tell you this. I think, it, you know, in my current organization, we've got a really good blend of people that come to to us with diverse backgrounds. Um, I'm actually working with someone who, uh, you know, was born outside of the U.S., um, is certainly a lot younger than I am, and, and 
you know, she is looking to, to do some personal development and get other opportunities, but she's reached out to me, and I've tried to encourage this person who's a, a bit of a developer at heart to say, hey, look at analysis, look at testing, and be being a part of this team, because I can see some teams that have needs right now that are maybe outside that business analyst box, or, you know, it's other things as well. So, again, it's, it's, it's the long way of saying be a problem solver, understand the business uh, that you're working in, the industry and how you can apply those IT skills and those interpersonal skills to become that, that problem solver, to become that person that's going to really help the organization flourish. Absolutely, absolutely. And and I really want that, again, to sink in with our listeners. And we've got a great audience live. We're giving a shout-out to our live listeners. Appreciate you uh, dialing into the call today on a, a Sunday to listen to Ken Schultz. Uh, we've had an hour long of, of covering topics, um, as he tells it from his perspective, being a senior director with Quintile. Uh, had a very successful career, has learned how to navigate the ins and outs. If you can take this advice and apply it sooner versus later, then your career will be just as successful, I'm sure, as Ken. So, again, Ken, we've, we've filled up our hour of conversation and questions and answer, and, um, you know, I, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. And don't know if you have any parting words that you, you, you want to say to the the audience out there and the listeners as they embark upon their careers and and IT and maybe what IT means to you. Sure. Well, thank you, Jacqueline and uh, David, for having me today. I really, really appreciate the opportunity to to come to to speak with you all. And, uh, you know, I I think in terms of just maybe closing comments, um, you know, if someone's listening to this, uh, now or certainly while it's archived, I mean, it, it tells me that there's something that they're trying to do to uh, better themselves, to really to, to learn from others and to, uh, to really maybe get to the next step in their career or to develop themselves. So I think that to me is a, is a huge plus. And I would encourage people, uh, you know, get out there, um, network, not just when you need something, but, you know, share, um, you know, help others because it really does come back, you know, to help you. Um, you know, that's one thing in my career that's really helped me is, you know, when you help others, it does come back to you. And, I, and I've got a great group of people here in, in the RTP area that I know I can count on as well, as well as outside of the area. But I think the key is build those relationships. Um, interpersonal skills, extremely important. You know, in the days of being a techie or being this one-dimensional uh, you know, uh, role player, I, I think are just, they're, they're either going or they're gone. Um, it's being that multifaceted, uh, versatile player, you know, within the IT space. So um, hopefully you, you've got something out of this. And if I can ever uh, help anyone here on this call, happy to. I'm on LinkedIn. If you'd like to connect, um, please feel free to reach out to me and uh, be happy to work with you. So thanks again, Jacqueline and David. Thanks, Ken. Thank you. And thank you again, and you all have been listening to Technology Expresso Cafe. Please stay tuned and share this link with your your friends, family, colleagues. Um, Tell them about this wonderful program that we have as far as providing mentor and coaching online. So join us again for our next shows. We have a lot more great guests lined up, just like Ken Schultz. And we look forward to you joining us again soon. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye now.